This time loop thing. How did you get out of it? I simply boosted the circuits and broke free. You came back of your own accord? Well, I... Doctor? No. No, I'm afraid not. Now, obviously, the Time Lords have programmed the TARDIS always to return to Earth. It seems that I'm some kind of a galactic yo-yo. Galactic Yo-Yo, the podcast where Doctor Who fans share their unpopular opinions with the world, and I have to do with them. I'm your host, Molly Marsh, and I am this week recording the intro at the 11th hour. Um, I've recorded the podcast at the 11th hour too, and I'm going to edit it at the 11th hour. It's all very um, last minute this week, uh, so my apologies for that. I don't know what time this is going to go up. But it is a lovely conversation uh, with Sam Molesky, who is a writer and critic essayist um, who's written a lovely book about series 11 called Sheffield Steel uh, that you should all definitely check out they also run uh, the Downtime 2017 website uh, that I've talked about on the podcast before with script scribbles Kevin Bernard Um, so that's great we also talk about another upcoming book of Sam's that I will uh, leave it to them to reveal uh, which is very exciting and uh, Sam shares with me their unpopular opinion that Dark Water, Death and Heaven is the best of the three Peter Capaldi series finales. A view that I don't agree with. I didn't before I uh, spoke to Sam and I still don't. However, uh, they did enlighten me uh, on a few points uh, and, and helped me out with enjoying some things about the story that I maybe didn't enjoy before. So I'm looking forward to watching it again uh, with my conversation with Sam in mind. Um, and th- those are always my favourite conversations when, when a guest can do that to me. In other news, uh, I've obviously been seeing all of the nonsense on Twitter today uh, regarding the Panopticon convention. It's uh, a load of rubbish, isn't it? They can fuck right off. Uh, those are my thoughts if anybody wanted them. <laughs> Another bit of, of other unrelated news, uh, before I forget, um, this is not Doctor Who related, so feel free to skip ahead by about 30 seconds if you're not interested. Um, but I'm doing a, a one-person show uh, called This Poo Shall Pass, and it's all in East London, uh, in December. Uh, and you should all come and watch it if you're interested in poetry and storytelling. Um, but there's, and there's one Doctor Who poem in it. But don't, like, come expecting loads of Doctor Who stuff or anything. It, it, is, it is unrelated to Doctor Who. Uh, but I thought you might enjoy anyway. But enough of me waffling. Without further ado, here is my conversation with Sam Molesky. So yeah, Sam, I, I guess if we just, if you could just give an introduction to who you are. Uh, so my name is Sam Molesky. Uh, I'm a student of various stuff. Uh, I've done a lot of uh, literature studies, like currently I'm in the UK 
uh, to study film screenwriting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not originally from the UK, as you can probably tell from the accent. I'm mm. French. And uh, the thing that I mainly do in uh, Stop you're, you're, the fir- you're the first that... French person on Galactic Yo-Yo. So there you go. There's a, there's oh. a, uh, there's a badge uh-huh. of honor. <laughs> Oh, that that's good. That's that's lovely. Uh, yeah, and the thing I mainly do in like the fandom is that uh, a couple of years ago I started a Doctor Who blog uh, with uh, a couple of friends, uh, Andrew Davis and uh, Kevin Bernard, that you already had on the podcast. Mm, mm. He was there talking about class. Um, uh, which kind of like was aiming at like providing. Sort of like lefty, queer, progressive Doctor Who criticism um, on various topics. We talked a lot about Series 10 when it came around, Series 11 when it came around. Uh, did a lot of like big Finnish coverage, because that's a thing that you don't necessarily have a lot of, and not necessarily from that kind of like progressive perspective. And... Um, from there, uh, yeah, a lot of, a lot of was... uh, big Finnish uh, criticism tends, tends to come from quite a trad angle. Not that it's necessarily yeah, exactly. not that it's necessarily conservative in outlook or uh, or right wing at all. It's just it's just often from quite a trad, uh, apolitical angle almost. I would say. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it's very interesting to talk about big Finnish and politics because they do a lot of stuff, mm. uh, especially mm. like we were talking about like twenty sixteen and. The way they kind of like took the space that the show wasn't occupying at the time, and kind of did some interesting things with Doom Collision and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's not mm-hmm. the, it's not the topic here, but you know, it's interesting. Um, from there, because uh, uh, I think the blog ended up having uh, a decent success. It's still like getting updated today, also mm-hmm. much less regularly because I'm. Uh, mostly the one doing it, uh, the only one doing it right now, and I have a lot of my hands in a lot of different pies. <laughs> sure. So I, tr- I, tr- I try to I try to find the time to keep a big thing. You've not just got your fingers in different time. pies; you've got your whole fists in in pies. <laughs> I like that analogy. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because um, uh, I've uh, recently written a book. Mm. So that was nice. Um, yeah, let's talk which about was that. Called, uh, yeah, so um, when Series 11 rolled around, I kind of had this idea that I would like write sort of like uh, weekly essays about it because mm. uh, I, I came to the, to the show with the Peter Capaldi era, but I only started kind of like writing regularly about Doctor Who at the tail end of that. And since the Capaldi era is my favorite, I kind of regretted a bit that I didn't have like an actual like diary of my experiences with it, and uh, I, I I was like very enthusiastic about the Chibnall era. Uh, it's not necessarily like as much the case right now, but at the time I was very enthusiastic, especially since it was like right at the time where I was moving into the UK, so it felt very much like a clean slate for me, and I kind of wanted to have like and regularly keep sort of like this critical look on the show and mm-hmm. having like this sort of personal writing exercise. And so I wrote these essays and some of them went on quite well. And um, yeah, and I ended up like having a huge lot of written material and I went 
oh, I should maybe try and turn that into a book. And like my idea was that I would kind of. Um, I think that happens to a lot, a lot of bloggers, doesn't it? When they when they're like, oh shit, I've just written a book, and they didn't. They're like they kind of write books without noticing a lot of the time. Bloggers. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah that, definitely. It's a it's a, it's a dangerous hobby. It can become a time sink very yeah, yeah. easily. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, uh, so like my initial idea with that was just that because I don't have like a, a Patreon or anything. Uh, I, I've put a cough a cough high on my site since but like i don't have a patreon because that means you have to like put content regularly and it's very hard for me to do that between the different projects and the studies and moving from one country to another for sure i think i think yeah once you've got people making financial commitment to your work you've got to kind of make sure that you've that you've got it coming out you know in a regular in a regular way and that's yeah that's that's can be hard when you've got your hands in different pies uh your whole fist in different Mm -hmm. pies so (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Whereas uh, I could sort of say, okay, yeah, I'm going to like put all the essays in like a new book that I put online, mm. and if people want to give me like five dollars to read some sort of like the expanded version of the, all the things in like the same stuff, that'll be nice, and you know that that'll be some money. I like money. I like getting paid for stuff. <laughs> uh, but uh, and so I contacted a, a friend who's a um, James Wilder, who's a publisher, and I asked him if he had like tips on how to do a proper ebook. And he went, uh, "Yeah, you know, I've read your essays; they're really good. I'd like to publish them instead." So, wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah so it's, sure. it's, it's now available not not only as an ebook but in physical form, right? Yeah, it's uh, it's available in physical. I have like a few spare offer copies like on my shelf, staring mm-hmm. at me right now. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's it's uh, <coughs> sorry. It's on Amazon. Uh, it's, uh, for, uh, if, if I want to, to plug to plug it, it's uh, four ninety nine for an ebook and uh, nine ninety nine for a physical copy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I sort of like re- like rewrote everything and expanded on all the essays and wrote a bunch of new ones uh, to cover a lot of um, the expanded universe material surrounding series eleven. So I wrote about like the time books. Um, the children's books I did, um, Secret and Vault 13, and uh, the Twelve Angels Weeping anthology. Mm, mm. Also, did. that has a uh, 13th of the story, which is really, really good, incidentally. Um, but yeah, so I, I did all of that, and that's, uh, that's a book. I've written a book. It's very exciting. That, yeah, that must have been a very strange experience to have gone from kind of writing these, writing these essays just to sort of um, just to sort of pass the time to write about Doctor Who, and then and then that that becoming this this fully fledged, uh, you know, p- p- a paper book that you can buy. Yeah, yeah, it's it's, it's, a, it's a bit weird. I'm not sure how I have, like still fully processed it, but uh, it's uh, it's nice, honestly. It's a, it's a nice feeling, but uh, but yeah, it's a bit weird. I, I think I don't really like get like the full shock of seeing the book because. It was like a very gradual process from like mm. right from like writing the essays on the weeks the episodes were coming out, yeah, and then yeah. sort of like tinkering with them. So it doesn't feel just like oh yeah, yeah I've written like a book like out of nowhere, ex nihilo. Sure, you sure. get like bad books. So, so but it's still but th- very this is kind of what I'm saying. Like you didn't you didn't really realize you were writing a book when you were writing it. Do you know what I mean? With the bulk of it, anyway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, 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 I, I, I didn't, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah. And it's my, it's 
gone down apparently quite well. I've had some very, very, very nice people saying very nice things about it. So, uh, yeah, probably going to do uh, to do a second one when the next season of Doctor Who rolls out, which we don't know when. Yeah, we that don't know when it's going to be at the but... moment. We're we're thinking early next year. We're, we're you know. January, February, that sort of time. Oh, I have no clue. Yeah, that's the. I, that's I, the I, rumor, know, I, I think. would, I, I would prefer it to be as far as possible because I have writing deadlines <laughs> uh, that I need to finish. Yeah, uh, yeah. writing for series twelve rolls around, and I like having wiggle room, but uh, I don't think Chris Chibnall really cares about yeah, I, uh, yeah. my writing deadlines. <laughs> I, I don't think he makes the show to cater specifically to me, which uh, means that, of course, it's the worst thing ever. Zero out of ten, not my doctor. <laughs> and this book is not the only book that you've uh, that you've been working on, though, right? Let's yeah, talk about your other book. Uh, yeah, because apparently I, I have now uh, become the Chibnall Whisperer, because um, uh, the Black Archive collection, which is, um, I don't know if you listen to know about it, so I will uh, re-explain it. It's uh, Obvious Books, um, which is uh, the publishing house that publishes all the Iris Wildflame stuff, all the Faction Paradox stuff. Uh, they do this uh, critical essay collections called the Black Archive, but the thing is, they take one episode of Doctor Who and get one person to write like a, a full like critical monography, critical dissertation about it. Yes, yes. Take, like, I've had a f- I've had a few Black Archive writers on before. Like we've I've spoken to oh, yeah. um, Elizabeth Miles, who've, who's written a couple of Black Archives. I think I've spoken to John Arnold, who's written yeah. a fair few, and and oh, of yeah, course yeah. Our, our good friend uh, Nikki, who's written the Love of Monsters one, and uh-huh. and Will Shaw, of course, who's yeah. uh, who's still working hard on uh, Rings of Akaten, uh Black Archives. So, yeah, 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 my uh, listeners been... yeah. my listeners will probably yeah. be vaguely familiar with with Black Archive um, by now. Um, if they're if they're okay. listening carefully Good. enough, um, but yeah, a uh, rat yeah, in the I, UK I, for you, right, Sam? It's uh, yeah, it's a in the UK because um, like it, the like the the idea of doing one like uh, Kate, while I was writing his essays uh, on, on series eleven, and uh, Philip Hallard, who's um, like handling the the, the range. Uh, got in touch uh, because uh, he wanted uh, people to write about Series 11 and he wanted people to specifically write about uh, Chris Chibnall uh, and his episodes because frankly the people weren't very interested in pitching for um, Chris Chibnall's episodes. Um, they, they've done, they're doing like all the books on Series 11. There's one on Kablam uh, mm-hmm. that's uh, mm-hmm. coming up next year. Uh, but that's not for Christian like I said. Yeah. And who's, do, who's doing that one? Uh, it's uh, Naomi Jacobs and Thomas uh, Rutherford. Okay. And so uh, apparently people like apparently PPH really liked my my mistake was Christian and asked me to do one of the Christian episodes. Uh, so I took the one that I uh, probably liked the best mm-hmm. out of those that I could pick. Uh, that was happening in the UK, so I'm I'm writing it right now. Um, it's been a, it's been a very very different writing well, process. Cause yeah. What was it that appealed to you about Arachnids in the UK? Um, that that made you that made you pick that one? Well, um, I thought it was sort of interesting the way it was 
very political. Uh, not necessarily saying that politics are good, mind you. That's a whole other debate. But it kind of does a lot of things with its politics and not just with the character of like uh, Jack Robertson, you know, the fake Trump, but also the entire aesthetic of the episode is really political. You have the whole, you have the whole mining stuff, the whole hotel, the spiders that are framed in like this very gothic, very meaningful ways, and that kind of like really interested me. And mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. thought there was something in the way like the different elements of the story were kind of like coming together that I thought was very interesting to think about critically. Not necessarily mean like that, that I love the episode, but I saw the episode and I went, okay, I could write a book about this one. Yeah. I, mean, I that... couldn't necessarily write a book. I couldn't write a book about all the general episodes in series 11. <laughs> like, I, 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 I would not try to write a book about the Battle of Renskoraf Colos. <laughs> I mean, someone's probably going to try at some point. I wish them a lot of luck. I'm not going to be the one who does it. That's the thing, though, as well, is that it, you know, quality and and uh, the the appeal of writing a book about something are not always uh, correlating. So, you know, for, you, uh, while Arachnids in the UK might not be your favourite, well, did you say it was your favourite of, of Chibnall's uh, story? At, 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 at the time, okay. it was. Like, I think of, of the Chris Chibnall scripts, not yeah. of Series 11, but... but uh, you can, then, what I'm saying was, is you can look at a given season and think, okay, that one's my favourite but I'm, it's not necessarily the one that I could say the most about. Do you know what I mean? And then there might be one that you don't like as much uh, in terms of purely in terms of quality and enjoyment, but you think, wow, there's so much material there that I can deal with. Do you know what I mean, Sam? Oh, yeah, yeah absolutely. And I think that's uh, a big thing with like, r- like the exercise of like trying to write every week about the show that mm, way. Because, mm. um, you know, if you do that... It kind of forces you to interact with the episodes differently because, you know, um, if you do like a review really like of, of the episodes and just like kind of look at like the strong points, the weak points, you're kind of going to end up saying the same things a lot of the time. Well, that's going to like, happen. Was what happened with this podcast, because what I ended up doing uh, when Series 11 was on was that I scrapped my usual format and I just got guests back and... Um, <clears throat> Pardon me, and we did uh, a little uh-huh. review of each episode uh, each week, and yeah, it did become a little bit of because because so many of the episodes were written by Chris Chibnall as well, um, or at least co-written by him. It, we I did start repeating myself so much with all these guests because um, because it was purely taking the form of a review. I wasn't I wasn't really trying to engage the episodes critically, especially because uh, you know I was recording it usually one or two days after the episode had aired, so. Yeah, it did become a challenge of, oh, how do I say something new when actually these episodes are going over all of the same um, pros and cons as as each other, you know? Yeah, totally. And, you know, I mean, there's not, there's not really a, a place for that, and it's important, but personally, it's not something that I'm very, like, interested in writing, and I don't think I would be very good at it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of, like, went with the angle of, like, trying to I think it requires, sorry to interrupt you, I think it requires an economical style that maybe isn't your style from the stuff of yours. Oh, yeah, no, no, definitely. Oh, yeah, no, definitely. (laughs) I'm like, my my writing is horribly pretentious. Very formal. I'm I'm French and I have like two degrees in literature. I, I, yeah, 
I, I, I'm not concise. I, I'm sorry. I, I, I like I wrote like a thing on Stephen Moffat and gender on my blog the other day. Uh, it ended up at ten thousand words because I can do short. <laughs> but yeah, 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 yeah. No, I, I agree. But I so like so the thing that I kind of did with this was that I tried to look at the episodes and I tried to like, look just like all consideration of quality removed for mm, the most mm. part because. I did yell at the occasional episode. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Kablam. But, uh, but that, with Kablam, though, but, I, I don't want to speak for you, but that's probably not actually about quality. It's probably to do with the uh, the political themes and, and the political things the story's doing. Because, uh, you know, in terms of, of structurally and in terms of the, the dialogue and all other stuff, the, Kablam's quite a good story, right? I I have like the uh, the yeah, first I the have, first sort of I, I, thirty minutes. You're like, yeah, I'm enjoying this. Yes, it's I have a lot of Koblem takes, but that's that not might not be maybe, the best place to do. Yeah, maybe a conversation yeah. for another day. Yeah, yeah, because I I will not stop talking about Koblem if I'm if I'm prompted. So let let let's not go that way. But yeah, so like. So sort of like the idea was like to look at the text of the episode, remove like consideration of quality and like try to write about what the episode tries to do and what it tries to mean and to signify the audience mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and to just like look at like the symbols and the way it's written and the way it's structured and just write about that and sort of like have this like very subjective snapshot at what the episodes are trying to do, at the way I perceive them, and mm. I think it, I think it's, I think it's pretty interesting, uh, especially I, especially I think like the, the one I did on uh, the Tsarenga conundrum, uh, which was an episode that a lot of uh, people didn't like all that much, and yeah. looking at it just like as like a bunch of like bits and pieces, not really like concerned with is it any good. Uh, I kind of ended up liking it a lot more mm, than I would have mm. done otherwise. Because I think that like trying to just like see the episodes that way doesn't necessarily mean that you will enjoy them more, but it's actually a mode of like engaging. Yeah, with it's, a, it's a different the kind of engagement, isn't it? It's just a different form of engaging with the with the story. Yeah, definitely. You're and not really enjoying it on the same metric, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I don't want to like sound horribly pretentious, mm. like in a oh, you 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 plebs just watching the show to enjoy. <laughs> I am critic. No, you need no, a very like, high IQ to uh, <laughs> to truly appreciate the truth. You need a very high IQ to understand the Yeah, yeah, that. But yeah, yeah. I don't want to be like that. And you know, I still, I still like you know, watch the show day one and I will not, like, come right off the bat with, like, the critical take and stuff. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Like, yeah. yeah, so watch it to enjoy it, you know. Uh, but yeah. I think it kind of, like, forces you to take, like, a bit of a different point of view and mm. it's been pretty good for my, like, enjoyment of Series 11, I think. Cause, yeah, uh, I mean, I, c- of, I can't like, wait to go back and watch some of it again with the with the benefit of hindsight and with and with time having healed things a little bit. I think one of the one of the main things with that story with Saranga Conundrum was I remember that it was episode five, wasn't it? It was like, yeah, it was episode five yeah. in the run. 
And that, I think for me and for also for a lot of people, was the kind of the turning point when they realized, oh, maybe this just isn't very good. Do you know what I mean? And that like it, it took till episode five for me to, to kind of come to terms with that. It took it took it took that many kind of uh, dodgy episodes. And um, I remember that was the first one where so with the podcast I recorded about it. Um, I recorded that one with Will Shaw. And I remember going into it and saying to Will, okay, you know what, I didn't enjoy this very much, but let's try and keep it keep things positive because week on week I don't want to be, be be negative about um these stories. And then uh we started and obviously you veer into negativity and we we, we just couldn't stop right off the bat after watching uh Saranga Conundrum. And I yeah, I think it, it, it was about its placement in the season, uh as much as anything else as as to how it made the audience feel. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But you know, I, I, I'm like in in circles that really don't like series eleven mm-hmm. much, and a lot of my friends really don't like it much. And I kind of, I, I kind of get it, uh, but also, but also probably because I was like so much in that sort of mode when I was watching it. And also because it's especially it like you know there's also like a lot of personal stuff in how it has put in my life where I was like going back into the UK and having pretty good time generally speaking. I don't really get kind of work. I, I can't really work at, work a lot of hatred against Series Eleven. Like it's 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 done good to me. Like it's given me a lot of material to write a book. So. Good on mm. you, Series Eleven. I, I I I like you. You mean a lot to me, even if you're not the, the best of writers. You're you're my child, <laughs> my, my my beautiful. Your ugly baby. Ugly. So, right. So this, yeah, so, this exactly. is so funny because sorry, let me clear my throat again. I don't was going. <clears throat> yes, this is so funny because uh, two episodes ago I interviewed um, Imogen, who is a artist, a fan artist, and um, an illustrator, and she uh, is a big Series Eleven fan, but she describes Series Eleven as like an ugly baby. And it seems like you're thinking of it in the same terms, Sam. Oh yeah, yeah, no, that's uh, that's, a, that's a pretty good that's a pretty good comparison, you know. It's 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 cute, you know. You want to like it. It's it's a bit, you know. It's not it's not perfectly formed. Yeah. And, and if we're going to take uh, the analogy probably... to extremes, you know, maybe maybe it will grow into its looks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know. Uh, with maybe you know some like uh, better 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 politics, better parents, you know, better education system, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's you know I have hope for the future. And anyway, even if it's if it's semi twelve is really bad, it will still still give me a lot of book fodder. Mm, so mm. keep going, Chris Chibnall. Like go and make your Holocaust episode. I'm going to have so many takes on that. <laughs> I guess that's what happens when you start engaging um, with Doctor Who in this way, and I guess media in general in this way is that quality you don't get you don't get feel betrayed anymore, and you don't feel disappointed anymore because quality it becomes like we were saying earlier, just becomes no object, and you can just uh, yeah, I don't know, appreciate exactly. for what it is. Should we uh, yeah, should we move or... on, um, Sam, to talking about yeah, how sure. you got into the show originally and how your journey started? Yeah. So so. As mentioned before, I'm French, and uh, there is um, a French Doctor Who fandom that's um, that's pretty active. Uh, I 
wasn't a part of it, and I don't think I'm I ever was I ever really was. Um, but you know, there's a there are groups. There's there's, there's, there's these very good uh, YouTubers that are called uh, the Pepper the Pepper Pet team, who do some like really nice stuff. They're French. Cool. Um, but uh, yeah, I kind of like didn't really know about Doctor Who. Like it was like sort of floating at like the very edge of like my cultural relevance field mm. thing. Uh, basically, like um, beyond like really the fandom uh, who tends to be like uh, very into the classics and very into Doctor Who in general. Uh, sort of like the, the popular perception of Doctor Who in France is really like just mostly the, the Russell T Davies era. Right. Uh, for French people, don't like Stephen Moffat like at all. It's oh really? Okay. Really? Oh yeah, it's really impressive. Like I, 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 like Stephen Moffat gets a lot of flack like in who fandom, like generally speaking, and in the UK and whatever. But it's way worse in France because <laughs> like a ton of people did. A lot of people discovered Doctor Who with Russell T Davies. Right, right. Like a change of style. Yeah, it must have thrown them. Some, yeah. I mean, it threw people over it, here. It, yeah. it didn't work for, for other people. Right. So I kind of knew Doctor Who as like, oh yeah, the show was like the creepy gas mask kid. Mm, and I had mm. heard of like the Weeping Angels yeah. a couple of times. Ironically, but all, that's all that's Stephen Moffat stories. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah it, that's it, the irony it, there. It's a great irony. Of, yeah. But, um, but yeah, and uh, it, it does air in France, but um, it's uh, on, on the public channel. Mm. But they air episodes like six at a time. Right, uh, right. You know, do, do they add the dubs? Dubs, the French dubs. There's a dub, yeah. And uh, uh, you know, yeah, I've stood, I've stood the they... dub on on Netflix a, a couple of times just to just to see what it was like. And the guy who does Matt Smith Sorry. is very flamboyant. Yeah, it's. Um, <laughs> I'm glad it's there, that it's there, you know, because you know, people who don't speak that very good English need dubs and stuff but also i don't think it's really good most of the time no, I, so, I, I don't really get it either because like if i'm watching a french movie like i don't speak french but if i'm watching a french movie i'd rather watch them speaking french with subtitles than than hear them hear random actors speaking english over the top like i don't i don't really understand the appeal of a dub at all when subtitles are there yeah yeah definitely uh but well anyway so like they have like wasn't like shown in very good conditions at all so i just never got into it and what did it for me was um it was uh, in 2013 when you had like like a sort of like big publicity boost of the 50th anniversary and you had a lot of people talking about it a lot of um, youtubers a lot mm -hmm. of news sites and i kind of like brought it to a bit more to my knowledge and uh i also realized something uh which was that uh, Stephen Moffat was writing it. And I didn't know Doctor Who, but there was another BBC show which was actually really well promoted in France, and it was Sherlock. Mm. And I had watched Sherlock. Uh, uh, I'm pretty cool on Sherlock now, but I was a teenager, and when I first watched Sherlock, I thought it was the coolest shit ever. Yeah, yeah, we all did. We yeah. all did. I still, I still <laughs> do a lot of it. I think lots of Sherlock is still brilliant. Oh, yeah, yeah. So Stephen Moffat episodes are really good. And I think Series 3, uh, which aired at the same time as Series 8, which is my favorite Moffat season. So like it's, it's, I love Series 3 of Sherlock. I think mm. it's brilliant. But, yeah. Um, and I was really, really into Sherlock. Uh, I was watching it with my friends all the time. Uh, one of my best friends realized they were a lesbian after watching uh, Lara Pover in A Scandal in Belgravia. 
that's a fun story. Um, so I went, oh, this guy who did Sherlock also does Doctor Who. And yeah, Doctor Who, that kind of sounds fun. Uh, like my parents um, were a huge fan of uh, the Avengers, you know, Diana Rigg, Rick McNee once. Sure. So I watched a lot of like uh, DVDs of that when I was a little kid. And I went, oh, yeah, it's, it kind of looks like it has like the same energy yeah, it's some fun. I'll, I'll go buy like, the DVDs of the first few New Who seasons and just like plug them in and watch. And I did. So like in 2013, 2014, I just like marathoned the whole of New Who in a few months. And I really enjoyed it. And I kind of like, I kind of like went into it. Okay, I have no clue of what this is and I'm not sure I like it. Uh, but I'm going to keep watching anyway. And I kept watching and I ended up really, really liking it. A huge lot. Where did uh, you which, choose to start from? Did you like? Did you just start uh, from Rose. Eccleston or yeah, cool? Yeah, I started from from Rose and mm. all the way up to Thomas Doctor, uh, which was the last episode at the time where where I, I was like catching up. And so the first uh, episode I ever saw live, it wasn't technically live because uh, I watched it the day afterwards because mm-hmm. I didn't have like access to the BBC or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, was uh, Deep Breath, uh, which was uh, the, the, like uh, one just like one month before I, I started uni for the first time. So yeah, great that was story. Fun, fun memories. Yeah, Deep Breath. Um, I saw in the cinema actually. They aired it in uh, in oh nice in cinemas. So yeah, I saw I saw it in the cinema. What well, yeah, it was an amazing experience actually. Oh, and yeah. it was the day before um, my birthday too. Actually, <laughs> day, oh, day that's, before that's my nineteenth birthday. Yeah. I got the witches familiar on my birthday. That was nice. Oh, cool! That's cool. Should we um should we move into unpopular opinions territory then, Sam? Yes, let's. Cool. So I'm gonna let you take the floor in explaining your unpopular view. Thank you, thank you so much. I really didn't know. I wasn't sure. You lose sight sometimes. Thank you. I am not a good man. I'm not a bad man. I am not a hero. I'm definitely not a president. And no, I'm not an officer. Do you know what I am? I am an idiot. So, so the unpopular opinion I have selected uh, actually is about series eight, because that's the first season of Doctor Who I watched. And when I watched it, I thought it was the best season of Doctor Who slash of television I had ever seen. And it's an opinion I still hold today. Uh, but, you know, for like a more specialised hot take, that's not, it's not series eight is the best thing ever. Uh, I kind of zeroed in on the finale, mm-hmm. uh, which is that quarter day seven, uh, because I still think that it's the best Doctor Who finale, period. And yes, I think it's better than the other two Capaldi finales, uh-huh. which is a hot take. It's a hot take. It's 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 so hot that it's that it's burning me, and it's making me uh, uh, it's making my skin sizzle off, Sam. <laughs> yeah, it's it's it, it's a very powerful take. It, it must be handled with with precaution. Yeah, very but, yeah, but, uh, very yeah. rarely. You know what? I've been doing this. I've been doing this show, uh, this uh, this podcast for two years. 
uh, or, and a little more than two years now, actually. And very rarely, so I've heard a lot of unpopular opinions, and very rarely do they scold me like this one has. And you know what? I don't even, I don't even hate Dot uh, Water, Death in Heaven. I just think it's so clearly the weakest of Capaldi's three finales, and most people agree with that. And I'm so excited to hear why you feel the opposite. Well, to be fair, they're all really, really fantastic. So, mm. you know, I'm not like, I, I'm not going, no, you have to agree with me. It's objectively the best one. <laughs> you know, I can absolutely see like the case for the other two. And a lot of weather, a lot more probably solid than Darkwater Death in Heaven. But I also think Darkwater Death in Heaven is very unique in what it does. And it's just an energy I have a huge lot of patience for and which kind of like fits really well with my idea of what Doctor Who is about and how it works. And also the thing that I think is important to point out is that while, you know, uh, Sierra went to do very different things and you had like uh, Heaven Sent Heaven and Warden and Fantastic Doctor Falls, like Dark World of Death in Heaven is in a lot of ways kind of like, like the, really like the central point of the Capaldi era in terms of character arcs in terms of character development and in terms of like the general plot of the era true because you have um you have the messy stuff uh, which you know like it's in a lot of ways like the, the way Stephen Moffat did it is that Dark World of Death in Heaven is kind of a direct sequel to um the Doctor Falls or World of Death and Times Doctor Falls because you have you know the same master regenerating and you end up with Missy for the first time in this story. And I've even seen like fan theories that like the fact that a sim master died in like this place full of Cybermen was what like gave him the idea to do the thing in Dark Water, which I see is quite fun. But I think it really works as like sort of the central point of the Missy arc where you can see her kind of like where it's established that she's trying to make up with the Doctor, she's trying to have this more, like, human-friendly relationship with the Doctor. Uh, it's also the point where the Twelfth Doctor really changes in terms of arc, where he kind of, like, rejects all his sort of, like, edgy, angsty introspections that he did and goes with the thing that he's an idiot, that he's innocent, and kind of, like, goes to... this to, goes to a more fun and more supportive place. And Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Because I think a, lot of fans, a lot of fans criticise the, the characterisation of the Twelfth Doctor uh, overall, but especially in, in Series 9, because they say, oh, well, this, this new, like... Uh, embarrassing uncle persona has just sort of come out of nowhere. But actually, when you go back and watch Dark Water Death in Heaven, it's really it's really signposted by by this story. Oh yeah, absolutely. And and I think it's I think it's really 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 interesting to me because you know, it's you, you can say a lot of things about the way it talks about the Doctor's need for like innocence because. I'm, I'm going to go back to that because I just want to make one last point. And also, it's a really, really important story for Clara because, like, yes, her arc comes to an end with uh, Heaven Sent and Hellbent, but also in a lot of ways, like, this is the real turning point for her. Because, like, it's basically the point of no return. 
like at the end of the story and uh, with Last Christmas, it's kind of like a coda to it. Mm, mm. Like she is set on her path, like basically face the raven be- and the things that come after it become like inevitable from this point on, from the death of Danny and from her kind of going like into this very vindictive mode and mm. trying to like not let the world dictate what we should do and taking like the narrative, taking control of the narrative, mm. which is like basically what she also ends up doing in Hellbent, except it's framed a lot more positively in Hellbent, whereas here it's sort of this very, very dangerous thing. And I think that's really why I love this story so much, because it has it has a sense of danger and of reality that I think is really rare for Doctor Who, especially in the Moffat era, which I love dearly. It's my favourite era of Doctor Who, no comparison here. But also it's very concerned with characters that are aware that they're characters mm, and mm, kind of like mm. fighting to uh, for the control of the narrative and for the position within the story itself. And that appears and here been, though, you know, when you look at the the opening of the story, um when or is it the opening of Death in Heaven or is it Dark Water? Where yeah, yeah. um where Clara's yeah, face appe- appears appears in the title sequence. It, it almost feels as if Clara's put that there herself, <laughs> you know? Oh yeah yeah Absolutely. Like, it's totally in in here, too. But, like, in a lot of the Moffat era, you can have, like, this very, like, this distance with the characters a bit, which I'm not saying that the characters aren't, like, relatable or good or that there isn't any emotional storytelling. There is all of that, and it's very well done, and I like it a lot. But I love Dark Water, Death in Heaven because it feels very real and very raw mm-hmm. in a way mm-hmm. a lot of the era doesn't... And because it's, I think, a story that kind of explicitly, like, poses the problem of what happens when you think of your life as the life of a character. Like, it problematizes a lot of what the Moffat era does in terms of very metafictional characters, very metafictional narratives, and kind of, like, puts those in the context of reality and shows you the clash Mm. between you know between his dreams and his aspirations and kind of like the bitter reality of it and you know the fact that Clara is just is just deeply screwed up yeah by it's all, true I mean I'm thinking it. particularly about um Danny's death at the beginning of the story um spoiler alert um when he you know <laughs> it's so it's so unlike a Doctor Who story that he just dies crossing the road randomly one day, you know? And that's almost, that's, that almost is what destroys Clara is that no, like, like Danny's, Danny's my love interest. Like he can't die like this. He can't die out of nowhere in a way that makes no story sense. And that is kind of maybe what motivates her to go to the doctor and say, you know what? We, we, we've got to find a way of getting this guy back because, um, this can't happen to me. You know, (laughs) this doesn't happen to Dr. Companions. And uh, and yeah, the doctor exactly. and the doctor goes along with that and and then yeah the story kind of feels wrong uh, because of that I think there's a wrongness to it to everything that follows yeah and you know it's not something that's absolutely unique to the story I think Heaven Send kind of gets a bit in that territory in a very different way mm. sort of like uncomfortable wrongness 
But it's like, even in a story as dark as like uh, World in Earth and Time, you kind of know where it's heading because you have seen the first scene with the Doctor regenerating. Mm, you know mm. that Peter Capaldi is leaving. You know that Paul Mackey is leaving. So you sort of know that it's going to end in like regeneration. And maybe the show is going to like sort of collapse. But, you know, there's this series 11 afterwards. There's Jodie Whittaker. We're good. Um, whereas Dark Water and Death in Heaven, there's this real sense of you don't know what the show is going to to do with this and where it's going to go uh, from there mm. and especially like especially the like of course when you rewatch the episode now you can put it in context but i watched like i watched it live and i remember just like the the missy reveal at the end of the first episode was just it's probably like, the most excited i ever got doctor Who episode i was like punching the air and i had no idea of what they were going to do with her afterwards. And there's this real sense of, like, danger and thrill and weird, like, almost, like, existential angst to the episode. Yeah, that I think and that's, just that's, I mean, I really think the, the Danny death, again, is what sort of sets the precedent for that. Uh, it's just like, well, yeah, yeah, now that's good. happened, like, anything could happen, you know? Uh, and then they, yeah, kill totally. then they kill Osgood, which obviously later on kind of gets reversed. But the, at the time, you're like, holy shit, like they've killed Osgood as well. Like, it, it, you do feel like anything. And also, uh, am I right in thinking we didn't know what was going on with Jenna Coleman at that point? So, like, anything could sort of happen yeah, to the Clara yeah, yeah. character. So, that, yeah, there was yes, a. So, they so, so, so sort of confirmed that it, and she would be back in the Christmas special, I think. Right, right. But, yeah. But even but, so, yeah. like, in the paratext, there was a lot of uncertainty about what was going on. And I think that, that kind of helped a lot. Um, maybe. Yeah. Can I, can I fire definitely. some? Can I fire some criticism, like some common criticisms of the story at you, and see what you have to say yeah. about them? Yeah, sure. Great. We'll start with Missy then, because a lot of people, um, a lot of people talk about the Missy reveal and say that it's it's not really earned, and that it's a, the whole Missy arc. I guess this isn't a specifically Dark Water Death in Heaven problem, but they, people talk about the Missy arc being something that's concerned. Out with 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 things outside of the show rather than within the show. So, uh, you know, in, in terms of the fact that up until Dark Water, uh, Clara and the Doctor haven't even come across Missy yet. So, it, so the mystery is is for us rather than for them, and that's a problem for some people. What what would you say about that? Yes, see, I don't necessarily agree with that because while like the plot tease is. Yeah, very much for the audience's benefit. Um, uh, it ends up being a very like at the end. At the end of the day, there's a lot of mythos uh, to the story and to the Doctor's Master's relationship, but it ends up being like a very human emotional hook. It's just a woman who, much like Clara, actually, there's a very nice parallel that way with kind of has lost control of the narrative and who just wants the doctor to be a friend again and not to feel alone and to have someone by his side, uh, which I think is a very good emotional hook and fits really well with the season as a whole and sort of it seems of like um, the doctor wrestling with his identity and Clara mm -hmm. trying to figure out how to take control of the narrative, and it fits really well. And that's the thing I, I really love with Dark Water, Death in Heaven. It's kind of a very... I love Series 8 as this sort of, like, very 
classic literature ghost story feel to it. Listen, especially uh, his textbook that. Dark Water Doesn't Heaven is very much that too. You could write, you could have the episode, like most of the narrative arcs in it, happen with no science fiction elements at all. You could write a Cyberman out of it. You could mm. just have like three, like three, I guess, four characters with Danny, just like standing in a room talking and the story would be almost as good. Yeah. And I think that's something that's really rare to see in Doctor Who. Something that's just entirely based in like character dynamics and trauma and like interactions and bouncing off of each other. And the Cybermen in this story and Danny especially are very much written as like almost like ghosts mm. more than like uh, science fiction concepts. And it's really a kind of this very elegiac, very melancholy ghost stories that kind of sparks characters into into discovering new things about themselves. So sure. I'm not surprised that uh, Mike Flanagan from The Haunting of Hill House is a huge Moffat fan because this story is very haunting of Hill House. Mm. I think you're right that the Cybermen are approached really differently in this story um, versus a story like, say, Nightmare in Silver, you know? You look at Nightmare in Silver and they're very much a, they're very much a, sci- a, a sci-fi idea aren't they with with their with their um uh, sort of ai upgrades and and everything like that but uh, in this story it's it seems more magical and i think again that's a problem that um that a lot of fans have with it is the how the cybermen the plausibility of of the cybermen as an idea is taken to the taken to the very extreme and the very edge of what of what is possible you know the the rain and everything i th- i think that on one hand Yes, but on the on the other, like the Cyberman main concept has always been to kind of like riff on different uh, forms of technology and you know kind of like updating um, updating themselves and changing a lot to kind of fit uh, the commentary and technology of the day. You know, it started with this thing about um, medical prosthesis and like medic- advances in medical science, and uh, it moved. You know, um, with um, so Russell T. Davies era, you kind of kind of like this very big, bulky Cybermen that are like almost like a, you know, almost like giant brick phones walking around and quite a commentary on um, democratization like of mobile phones. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I think I think it's that like the earpieces are like very in that same kind of design too, and twice a commentary on like um, the democratiz- the mass democratization of. Uh, telephones of like technology of the changes in the way we communicate and the way big tech companies sort of like stamp their logo on everything mm. like even cybermen they have like gigant giant cyber logos on them sure. and with nightmare and silver you kind of moved into like um like basically like in nightmare and silver they, they are iphone cybermen like they constantly like download new apps to update themselves <laughs> so and true. Yeah. Fight, 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 fight their battles and i think Dark Water Death in Heaven kind of takes like a different route with that because it moves um, to much more for like a fairy tale angle and more of a character angle with Cybermen, as you said. But also, there's still like I think some real concerns with uh, a pretty well written one with the way technology is used. Um, with, for instance, like you have like a lot of stuff nowadays about like billionaires uh, trying to research. How they're going to survive the climate apocalypse by, you know, uh, firing themselves up into space or like researching cryogenization. And you have this real thing about like uh, Silicon Valley technology used to fight death itself. 
And that's mm-hmm. something you find very much in, in Dark Water, where you have this, this Cyberman sort of like being this almost like technological ancestor death. It's very kind of like, I think there's some, sort of like a, a transhumanity sort of like theme through that episode. Oh, for and, sure. You know, and and the fact this, that they're literally coming from the cloud as well. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely, and yeah. So, so I think it's still like very much sort of like a. I don't think it's a betrayal of what the Cybermen are about. It kind of shifts the focus, but it has enough of a grounding in technology and mm-hmm. in commentary, and has enough like interesting stuff to say about them. And it doesn't exactly feel completely different. I will say, I will acknowledge that the uh, Iron Mine flying stuff. Mm. Yeah, maybe that. that's that that's not the brightest point of the story. I mm-hmm. will admit, but you know, it's 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 goofy. It's Doctor Who. I, I like the goofy shit sometimes too. Okay, um, Cyberbrig. I I I, I like Cyberbrig. So. <laughs> to, 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 yeah, but to, to, to be fair, I can understand that uh, for some people, I have like some friends who just have like uh, an instinctual nope. Uh, rejection reaction to yeah. it. And I couldn't get it. I'm funny like, with the cyber brig because I don't I don't hate it, but also I I think the Brigadier's ending was done so well in Wedding of River Song. Do you know what I mean? That that this kind of it wasn't needed as a as an additional ending. Like it felt like he'd had his ending, and it's all it almost felt like yeah. in the story Stephen Stephen Moffat had forgotten that he gave the Brigadier an amazing ending already. And and this one felt like a felt like a um an early draft of that of that wedding river song ending in a way. I kind of I kind of get that. I think that it works. Um, in I think it works sort of like um, like in the whole uh, series eight thread about soldiers because uh, mm. this I, I think it's sort of like. Need like they say it's it's a very diff, sort of complicated bit of like uh, character stuff, and I know a lot of people are kind of very uncomfortable with it. I really like it, especially in Dark Water, Death in Heaven, because it does a lot of stuff to like kind of uh, praise uh, individual soldiers and sort of praise the bravery and praise. Uh, people who are ready to stand up to death and other people. Yeah, uh, I've never, re- I've never really uh, thought about Cyberbrig as a resolution to the soldiers arc, but I suppose it is in a lot of ways, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, Danny is the main resolution, but I think like sort of tying that back to the legacy of the Brigadier and to Unit is like it makes sense to me. I think the episode could have stood up with just. Um, Danny's big speech at the end, which is wonderful, incidentally. I just love that speech. Mm. Um, but I think sort of like throwing the Brigadier in it to tie back to stuff and just sort of like offers the Doctor a moment of resolution with that too. It's very important because uh, the Doctor and Danny never really like sort of like make up and have like a real resolution of the conflict. So having the Cyber Brig pop up so that the Doctor can like have this moment of understanding and he does salute respectfully, uh, feels, it makes sense. I think the episode could have done without it, but I don't mind that it's there, and I think it works well for the Doctor. And it also allows you this wonderful moment uh, in Twice Upon a Time, where he also does a salute at uh, Mark Giddes' character, 
which I thought was wonderful and made me really emotional. So I don't mind it there. Yeah, yeah. I guess like yeah, I just always felt like that that ending in Wedding of River Song yeah. was enough, and I, and it was such a definitive moment for me. I think it's one of the most fantastic scenes in the Moffat era overall. Yeah. That when when they went and did it again with Cyberbrig, and then when they did when they did it again in Twice Upon a Time, I was like, okay, like I, I, there, there's such a thing as too much of a good thing, you know? Yeah, and I think it it also works really well, sort of the contrast between like the the sex brigadier being like cybernetically enhanced with technology and still being sort of like this morally upstanding figure, True. with sort of like some the contrast that uh, the Moffat that Moffat draws in that very episode. Um, mm-hmm. With you know um, British intervention in the Middle East, <laughs> yeah, yeah. With uh, Danny Ping, with you know, there's a brief like snapshots of Danny Ping uh, being to, being to war and shooting that kid. Mm. This is nice, like you know, because we have we like live in times of increasing militarization and technology being used for like kind of military purposes. So having like this sort of like soldier with this military baggage uh, and with um, these technological enhancements, but still being a good person and symbol of good. I yeah, think it, it also makes and the also, Brigadier uh, immutable as a character as well, because, you know, it, it means the Cybermen can even impose themselves upon him and he's still the Brigadier that we know and love. Yeah, exactly. Also, it works really well in the context of um, what uh, Peter Harness would do uh, the next season with the whole drone warfare angle, uh, which, you know, uh, that episode is a whole mess, but mm. I like to get more off of it. That's that's good. Mm. Sorry, I just went back to that. But yeah, <laughs> yeah I agree with uh, the, I agree with the, the, sort of like the, it's almost like because the Moffat is fascinated with this idea of the Doctor as like this this function, you know, this narrative mm. role mm. that you can like aspire to, and and it's almost it almost like does the same thing as a Brigadier, you know, like the Brigadier is a person, it's a person, is dead. But you have like the idea of the brigadier, like still being there, like embodied, so, like almost this ghostly Cyberman form. Yeah, and, and I suppose yeah, it, I suppose I, it, I like the, it. the holy trinity of the brigadier in that story is is Cyberbrig, Danny Pink, and um, Kate Lesbos Stewart. You know, uh, they're all kind of symbols of of that what the brigadier represents. I guess. This yeah, is, exactly. This is helping me out with Cyberbrig a bit. The last, the last thing I wanted to touch on is that is the number one thing I hate about the story actually, and it's the thing that I've never managed to uh, forgive. So maybe you can help me out with this one, and it's um and it's the president of the world thing. I can't bear it. I yeah, I, I I knew I knew this was coming. Oh god, I think it's okay, just so. so I think it's so anti everything I love about the Doctor's character. I just think, I mean, and Capaldi's Doctor more than any other Doctor as well. It's like. God, this guy's supposed to be an anarchist. Like, what's what's going on? Like, why is he? It just doesn't work for me. So, I will say one thing first. I think it, I like the presence of the word stuff in this story mm. specifically. Mm. I think the fact that they used it again in the Zygon invasion and in as a pyramid at the end of the world mm. is absolutely bullshit <laughs> and very very bad writing and peter harness why uh, if, if you've ever read a peter harness like first draft peter harness why is a question he should be very familiar with because there's, there's I, I i do like his episodes but this man is a has a very strange mind <laughs> but um but but yeah i i think i do think it works in like 
Dark Water Destiny Heaven specifically, because the episode is like a rejection of that, ultimately. Like, he does say in his speech at the end, I'm not a president or anything. It's kind of like, because so much of Twelfth uh, Arc in Series 8 is kind of him, like, struggling with his role as a doctor and what it, and what it means. Because, you know, he was, like, uh, he was on trends a lot fighting his war. He was in mm-hmm. the Time War. And he has this idea that he m- might try to, like, you know, be uh, be cold and dispassionate and need Clara to be scared. That, you know, he needs all that to be the man who stops the monster, the man who makes the impossible choices. And, yeah, and it makes sense to kind of have it in the finale, have him be face-to-face with people who, like, expect him to be that, to be a general, to be... To be uh, to to be a president, a figure of authority, and I understand that, and I think it like it also like it kind of works with like Kate and Osgood and Unit. It's a bit underwritten, and I think like the, is an issue yeah. with his characters, uh, with Kate's character especially. Osgood gets some good material in series nine, but. Um, Kate has this issue, which I think she started really, really well in um, Power of Three and in Series 7. Mm. And she kind of, like, got le- under, more and more underwritten, which... With yeah, she's a boring character, in my view, really, Kate. There's nothing about her to me. Yeah, I, I really like her in the first appearance, and I'm kind of hopeful... and. I kind of hopeful that Chris Chibnall will bring her back. Because I think Chris Chibnall actually writes her really well. And Stephen Moffat kind of struggled with her a bit more, which is surprising. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's my that's my opinion. Uh, but yeah, like I think it can sort of work still. That quarter death in heaven. That you know because she like admires the Doctor a lot and he's kind of like in this position of like scientific advisor that the Doctor used to have. Mm. That she would kind of want him to like take charge and you know you know sort of like reunite like the good old days of unit and yeah it's not perfect but i can kind of see it and with the way it can end with the way it connects like the as um the rejection of the title by the doctor at the end i think that works it's really weird that it brought it back and it makes no sense and it weakens a bit the story in retrospect mm. but i think it works and it works also on like this whole speech that the doctor gives about um how is an idiot and I think it's interesting because an idiot like implies some sort of like innocence. Like, there's a point that um, a Doctor Who reviewer uh, was a guy who did the reviews for the AV Club, uh, Alastair Wilkins, um, made really well, which is that uh, the Doctor is like obsessed with this idea of like being responsible for people and being the man who makes difficult choices. But that actually the Doctor that we know and care about has this sort of like innocence, has this sort of like almost childlike wonder at things and that he may not be able to take all the difficult decisions for her for us which is why he kind of empowers uh, danny pink to make like this decision at the end of the episode because he can't because of his privilege uh, as you know uh, a time lord and a member of like transtemporal aristocracy and also as someone who in this story at least presents as like a cis white male he can't like take decisions for us and he kind of needs to go back to this sort of innocence of naivety and of purity almost which 
isn't a perfect viewpoint. And I think Moffat kind of goes back into critiquing that a bit with the series 10 finale, where, you know, he sort of goes back to, yeah, I have to make the, I have to be the guy to make the difficult decision. I have to be kind. And even if that means that it kills me, I have to take this political decision. That sure, kind of leads sure. into, and, and, but, you know, I think that at this point in the, in the 12th Doctor era, it really works. And the presence of the world stuff connects to that very nicely because it does have this very fairy tale quality to it. It has this very, like, childlike quality mm, to it. You know? mm. it's, it's basically what a little kid would say, you know, I'm going to be president of the world. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah it's, 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 it's... You imagine yeah, it, it's, like a kid sta- standing on top of the slide at the, in, a, in, a, in a playground and saying that. Yeah, exactly. And I think that works and that connects and you know there's a lot of it's a very like dense story that has a lot going on sometimes kind of maybe comes out comes out in a bit more confused ways than it should but i think even stuff like the president of the world bits do end up like in kind of working and making sense in what it's trying to say and it's it's, it's very, it's a very rich story, really. Um, like something that has always like impressed me with it uh, since I've realized it uh, was like the opening shot of Darkwater, which is something that um, Philippe Sahalat points in his uh, Black Archive on on uh, on some episodes. The first shot is just Daddy Pink like walking through a park. Uh, thing I didn't realize till way later was uh, he's literally walking in front of um, World War Monument to the Fallen in the park. Oh, right. Yeah, I, I had not known <laughs> that either. Yeah. But, yeah, like, yeah, of course. Like, it makes perfect sense, mm. like, in terms of the themes and the imagery of the episodes, which also has the first episode that gave us special talent, so that's nice. Mm. But, uh, but, but, yeah, so I think, I think it's, just, it's a, really interesting it's just fascinating story in how it operates in this mode of being those very fairy tale like and but also anchored in very harsh and realistic yeah and, and brutal world. it's like it's like a a, a collision between the, between yeah between gritty realism and 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 fairy tales isn't it in a, in a certain way oh yeah yeah absolutely and I think it kind of really like sums up what Doctor Who is about to, for me, at least because you know you can't really like, come up with an objective definition of what Doctor Who is or should be. No. But people have tried. For me, like, <laughs> oh yeah, people have tried and will always try, and it will be bad in a lot of mm. <laughs> because you know, but you know, like my personal subjective probably bullshit take on it. I've always seen kind of the show as being about the interaction of like normal and sort of ordinary mundane life definitely that's this absolutely how i see it as well i, I absolutely would put, yeah pin it on that strangeness and i feel the show is at its best when it's kind of like pairing like pairing putting everything else down to a minimum and just focusing on those interactions that's why my favorite episode of doctor who ever is listen because listen is nothing but that it's just like women going on date with weird supernatural shit mm. that's mm. connected to the story of uh, her story and the story of the people she loves kind of for happening. Sure. And for, for me, sure. that's like the, 
like see, it's, it's a quintessential Doctor Who, and I think that that's, that also doesn't happen in terms of like Doctor Who finales, in terms of like wrapping up the story, kind of gets to that, and, and this like this just sense of like pure interaction between characters and pure interaction between the normal world Definitely. and the natural and. It really works for me, and I really love it, and it's really good. You're making me want to, want to go back and watch it again now, Sam. <laughs> yeah, that means, so. that, means, that, 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 that means I've done good. Yeah, thank you so much. It's been amazing talking to you. Thanks. Where can people find you on Twitter? Where can people buy your book? Um, where can people, yeah, plug, plug, plug. Uh, okay, okay. Uh, plug time. So you can find me on Twitter at at looking for Talos, like uh, the Doctor Who planet. Mm-hmm. It's also a philosophy pun because uh, all the best Twitter handles are philosophy puns. Um, yeah, uh, I have uh, on there. I have links to my blog, and I'll post about um, the updates on the new book and where you can find that one when it comes out. Great. Uh, the current one, which is a uh, Sheffield Steel. Um, is also linked on my Twitter, uh, but also you can find it uh, on Amazon. Uh, it might go up to other stores uh, eventually if you don't want to buy it from Amazon. Uh, not right now because a lot of the sales are determined by how well you reference uh, in the Amazon algorithm. So just go to Amazon and tap um, Doctor Who Sheffield Steel, and you should uh, you should find it uh, no problem. Great, so, amazing. Yeah. Thank you, Sam. And you can find uh, us on Twitter, as usual, at GalactiaYoPod. And you can email us at GalactiaYoPod at gmail.com. Uh, I don't know who I'm going to be speaking to next time, but um, as usual, it'll be someone uh, fantastic, uh, I'm sure. Uh, but thanks again, Sam, and it's a bye from me. Thank you very much. Have a good day. Have a lovely talking. Bye. 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 bye.